We are uh, two weeks now. This is our second week into a, a series of Advent conversations about the, the gifts of Advent, the, the characteristic uh, virtues that, that uh, Christ brings, kind of Christmas presents from Jesus that he puts under our trees. Last week we heard about hope. That is, that is the, the first gift of Advent. The, today we'll be talking about peace, and then over the next two weeks we'll be talking about joy and love. So those are the, the gifts of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we're going to look at peace. Um, and uh, peace, is a, peace is a tricky thing. Peace is something um, uh, we don't always know what, what we mean when we talk about peace. Um, as you heard uh, Jill say, there are various meanings of peace and it contributes to our confusion. Peace is what Jesus wished that, that the people of Jerusalem knew more about. Uh, one of only two places in Scripture where Jesus is recorded as, as weeping is uh, on his in- entrance into Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem uh, saying, uh, if, only, if only Jerusalem knew the things that lead to peace. So we can understand that peace has been elusive. Peace is hard to understand. War, war we understand. But peace is a lot trickier. Friday was the 71st anniversary of the attack on the, the naval installation at Pearl Harbor. Um, I knew a man named Walt who was a, a veteran of Pearl Harbor. Walt was um, serving on a ship I don't remember he told me, but I've forgotten the name of the ship that he was on. Um, and when his ship uh, was hit with an explosion, he was thrown to the deck. And it kind of uh, rang his bell for a moment. And when he sat up, he was a little dazed, but he looked and between his legs was a piece of shrapnel. And he figured that he had just had a war's worth of good luck there, so he kept it as a, as a souvenir. It was an ugly piece of metal. He showed it to me, an ugly piece of metal about four or five inches long. You could kind of get your hand around it. I've got a picture of it there. Um, uh, and it was right between his knees, and he figured that if it had been a few inches to the left or right, he would have lost a leg. Um, and if it had been just a foot higher, he would have had a, a, an ab, an, a wound in his abdomen that probably would have killed him. So he, he figured that that was a, a real good luck charm, and he carried it with him throughout the rest of the war. Um, war, we understand. Uh, the following day, uh, 71 years ago yesterday, Congress declared war on the Empire of Japan, and then over the next few days and weeks, uh, Congress issued a number of other declarations of war on uh, Italy and Germany and some of the allies of, the, of those Axis powers. Uh, but... Uh, by, by the beginning of 1942, uh, Congress had declared all the war it was ever going to declare. There has not been, in 70 years, another declaration of war. So we've been at peace <laughs> for 70 years. Uh, yes, we've been, well, no, no, not really, have we? Um, in fact, hardly any peace over the last 70 years. Um, the, uh, uh, the The... Defense Department got its name after World War II, maybe in a hope that, that, that since World War I wasn't the war to end war, maybe World War II might be. Um, so they renamed the Department of the War Department to become the de- uh, Department of Defense. And wars started being called police actions or, or um, 
Uh, instead of sending troops, you sent military advisors. But, but one way or another, war seems to have continued. We had the Korean War. We had the Vietnam War, both parts of the, uh, the, the Cold War. And then for the last uh, couple of decades, we've had uh, what is known by different names, either, either the Global War on Terror, you might call it, or uh, Overseas Contingency Operations, I guess is the, is the current name for what's going on. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you have a bureaucratic name like that or whether you just call it a war, it's still going on. Uh, America defeated uh, Afghanistan in, I think, a week, um, but 11 years on, we're still over there. War continues because peace is elusive. In fact, war is so common that it becomes normal. It becomes the preferred strategy for taking on any kind of problem. Uh, it, we, we talk about the war on poverty or the war on drugs. We Back during the 1970s, uh, the president uh, described the energy crisis as being the moral equivalent of war. War is common, but peace is elusive. So what was Jesus talking about when he said to Jerusalem, if only you knew the things that make for peace? Well, part of the problem is we have two names. As Jill pointed out, there are, there are different kinds of peace. Most of us, if you just kind of start at the, at the very basics, what is, what is peace? Peace is the absence of trouble. Uh, when, when my troubles go away, then I have peace. It's, it, it, when, when the terrorists go away, we'll have peace. When the Nazis go away, we'll have peace. Uh, it's the most basic kind of, of understanding of what we might mean when we talk about peace. Uh, the problem is, it's so hard to get rid of all of our troubles. Um, it's very hard to eliminate troubles. Uh, a, a historian figured out once he, he, he did the calculations, and according to his calculations, in 3,400 years of recorded human history, 268 years had been times of peace. And the other 3,100-plus years of history, about 92 93% of human history... There's been war, either here or there or everywhere. There's been war. And the only thing about that statistic that's troubling is you, you, you have a suspicion that he's probably guessing high on the side of peace, that there's probably some war he didn't factor in. You don't think there's a peace that he forgot about. Peace is very elusive. And when you understand peace to be the absence of trouble, it becomes almost non-existent. That's been our story for the last 11 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. We have contributed time. We've contributed hundreds of billions of dollars of treasure. We've contributed 6,400 American lives, other coalition lives, uh, natives of those countries, and any number of wounded. And yet, peace eludes us. We are not the first to discover that peace is hard. 2,000 years ago, the Emperor Augustus was uh, the, the leader of the Roman Empire, and he inaugurated something that has been called the Pax Romana. Pax is the Roman word for peace, and that's what I would call the kind, this first kind of peace, the absence of trouble. The Pax Romana 
um, was a period of relative peace. There wasn't peace, but there was less trouble. There was less war. So that period of time, beginning with the Emperor Augustus, was known as the Pax Romana. He discovered in his own experience that peace can be elusive. But he wasn't the first either. Our story begins um, in the Bible uh, as we read about uh, people living in that region. What region is that? The region that that same Emperor Augustus had caused Mary and Joseph to travel to. If you go back and look at the beginning of this chapter, it says, In those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, Sitting in his office in Rome, Augustus issued a decree, and everybody around the world did what he told them to, because he had the kind of power that comes when you think that peace is what happens when you eliminate trouble. So he sent people wherever they were. There were no exceptions for pregnant women. He sent them to their ancestral homes, and they went to that region. And so we pick up the story in verse 8. In that region, that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Luke is alerting us here to the fact that Augustus is not the first. He's mentioned Augustus just a few verses back. But by talking about that region and talking about shepherds, he's reminding us that this this mentality goes as far back as anyone knew in those days and as far back as we can determine today with modern history. He's, he's reminding us of a shepherd from that region, a man named David. We heard about him this summer. David was a shepherd. David was also the greatest king of Israel. He was a king not unlike the Emperor Augustus. He brought Israel to the peak of its military power. They pushed back the borders. They got rid of the locals who were causing them trouble. It was the peak of Israel's peace understood in the world's terms. It was when Israel had the most pox. So he's reminding us that this is an ongoing way of looking at the world. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you great news, good news of great joy for all the people. And then he says this, he says, To you is born this day in the city of David, David again, another hint, David got that city named after him because he was a great conqueror. In the city of David, a savior, someone who can push these Romans back out, someone who can bring peace to Israel, peace that hasn't enjoyed for a thousand years, who is the Messiah, the king. The shepherds think in these terms. They say, David, king, Messiah, savior, I know what's coming. But even as that thought is formed in their minds, they realize something is terribly wrong. The angels are messing this up. Why are they bringing this story to them? They're shepherds. They're nobody. They're nobody. If if God is finally bringing a Messiah to the world, if God is going to finally give Israel a Savior, if now finally there is a successor to David born in the city of David, Why tell shepherds? Why aren't these angels over in Jerusalem? It's just a few miles away. 
Why aren't they over in Jerusalem telling diplomats and generals to strap on their swords because we're ready to rumble? Why are they talking to shepherds? Or, since it's God doing this, why aren't they over at the temple in Jerusalem talking to the religious leaders? Why is God sending messengers to nobodies, to herders of sheep? Something is terribly wrong. And even as you realize something is wrong with this story, he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Well, wrapped in cloth is one thing, but when they get there, they'll find it's pretty crude cloth. It's not the silk you would expect for a king. And no king, no savior, no messiah should be put in a manger. He should be in a palace. Something is definitely wrong. And then suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That word host, it doesn't mean anything to us. To us, a host is the person who takes your coat. It says, I'll put it on the bed. After the party, you can pick it up here. That's what a host is to us. Host doesn't mean anything, but there's a little footnote. Host is the word army. Um, when I was a kid, we used to watch TV um, on Saturday mornings, and there was this advertisement for a game, and I remember the ad, but I never played the game, so it was probably not a good advertisement. It was Stratego. Anybody else? Stratego. You'd pick up the flag, something like that. I don't know how it worked, but this word Stratego, our word strategic, words like that come from it. It's this same word. It's stratias. It's the Greek word for an army. So suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army. The armies of God come down from heaven to earth. And what are they doing? Are they saying, we're ready to fight? No. They're praising God and proclaiming peace on earth among those who God favors. This is not what the shepherds had in mind. It's not what anyone has in mind when they think peace, if their idea of peace is pox, if their idea of peace is what happens when you finally get rid of all your troubles. This is a totally different way of thinking about peace. The Romans had a word for this too, but there aren't any famous periods of time named for it for the obvious reasons. The Roman word for peace of this kind was tranquillitas. And there was no trans tranquillitas romana because there was no tranquility. They didn't have this concept as a way of having peace. The Jews did, as as, as uh, Jill pointed out, this is very much a, a, a great translation of the Hebrew word shalom. When, when Hebrew speakers talk about peace, they use the word shalom, and it is much more tranquillitas than it is pox. It's, it's peace with justice, peace with calm, but most of all, it is peace in the face of trouble. Not in the absence of trouble like pox, but in the face of trouble, in the midst of trouble. And this is the peace that the angels proclaimed. This is the peace that Jesus brought to the world. This is the peace that Jesus carried with him every day of his life, and the night before he was crucified, he gave it to his disciples. He said, in this world, you will always have trouble. If you've been thinking 
that somehow we can put an end to it, that we can have pox. You're wrong. In this world, we will always have trouble. But be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. So he said, I give you my peace, not as the world gives. And then he was, the next day he was crucified, and when he rose from the dead, he sought out his disciples and renewed his gift of peace to his disciples. This is the peace that Jesus brings. Not pox, but tranquilitas. Not pox, but shalom. Jesus gives us peace in the face of our problems, and really, that's what we want. Even if there was world peace today, my problems wouldn't be over, and yours wouldn't either. Because, to be honest, it probably wouldn't affect me that much. I mean, my taxes might come down a little bit, maybe. But I'm going to still have problems in my life. And so I won't have pox because I'll still have trouble. And so will you. Think about your relationships. Think about the people that you love. The whole nature of having relationships is you invite their troubles into your life. What do we say as our marriage vows? We don't just say health. We say sickness and health. We don't just say richer. We say richer or poorer. We understand that relationships bring troubles with them. And the only way to have pox, the only way to have an absence of trouble, is to have an absence of relationship. But we can have shalom, even with relationships. Our job, where do people get ulcers? They have stress. They don't like their job. No one respects them there. But the only thing they can do if they're looking for pox is to quit the job. And then they have financial trouble. Where do you find financial peace? Well, if you're looking for pox, you will never find it. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings shalom. Jesus brings tranquilitas. Peace in the face of trouble. Peace neck deep in trouble. Jesus brings us this kind of peace. And the best part is this. Because Jesus gives us tranquilitas, because Jesus gives us his shalom, we are free to work toward an absence of trouble without our peace depending on it. We can work to alleviate the problems in the world. We can work for pox and have peace whether or not we ever see it in our lifetime. We can work to eliminate violence or racism or ignorance or poverty. We can work on these things and have peace before our, our ideas or our efforts are rewarded with success. We can have peace because Jesus offers a different kind of peace. Thanks be to God. Amen.